welcome to the St. Matthew's Episcopal Church Worship Podcast. My name is Maggie Nancaro, and I am the Assistant Priest for Children, Youth, and Intergenerational Formation at St. Matt's. St. Matthew's is a neighborhood church with a worldwide community in St. Paul, Minnesota. This coming Sunday is June 27th, 2021. I'd like us to begin with a prayer for the day, which we call a collect. And this collect is prayed in all Episcopal churches in the United States together on this coming Sunday. Then I'll read the gospel lesson for this week and we'll get a chance to really dig into it. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have built your church upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Grant us so to be joined together in the unity of spirit by their teaching, that we may be made a holy temple acceptable to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our gospel lesson this Sunday is from Mark in the fifth chapter, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and said, when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be weighed well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve years. She had endured much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion people weeping and wailing loudly. 
When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the father's, the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was of 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mother of us all. Amen. I wonder if there is a time in your life when you have experienced the kind of desperation that this woman and this father feel. She's tried everything. She's bankrupted herself, but she keeps getting sicker and sicker. How much strength did it take her to get out of bed, to fight through that crowd, to seek desperately one more chance? Is she at the point where she feels that hope itself is like a betrayal? Does she think, why expend the energy or wrestle with the exhaustion and the pain and the embarrassment and the ridicule just for another failed attempt? When you have been at your wit's end, deep in an illness of the heart or body or mind, have these thoughts ever crossed your mind? Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, is beside himself. His daughter is at the point of death. Is she his only daughter, his youngest beloved child? Is she the child that he has dismissed for 12 years only to realize that she is more precious to him than he could ever have imagined? What emotions are going through him as the elders of the town rush to him to say, Jesus of Nazareth has come. He is a man of God and he can heal your daughter. Or is he the one rushing to convince them, fighting against them as they roll their eyes at him? Look at how the righteous one grovels when he is faced with pain, they say. Look how he begs this charlatan for help. There's so much to identify with in these characters, despite the fact that they are very different from one another. Jairus is a man who supposedly has everything, prestige, leadership, children, and an upright, righteous life. He is likely a Pharisee, and yet none of this can protect him from the grief and the powerlessness of having a sick child. He's done everything right and succeeded in this town, and yet his humanness is laid bare even with all these accomplishments and connections. The woman who approaches Jesus in the crowd is very different. She is nameless, having lost everything, all of her money, all her connections, all her health. Still, it is slowly draining away. The hemorrhages described by Mark here are likely some kind of menstrual condition, which, besides being physically debilitating, 
also cuts her off from motherhood, if she is not already a mother, and ostracizes her from her community. Now, because this is a menstrual condition, there is a long tradition of interpreting this as something that would have labeled her ritually unclean and therefore untouchable. We know that many ancient cultures, including ancient Jewish practices, had rules about what women could and could not do when they had their periods. However, many scholars of ancient Judaism say that it is unlikely that her ritual purity mattered all that much in this small town. The text itself says nothing about her being unclean, and clearly the people in the crowd around her don't mind touching her, since they're all pressed up together. So while I would hesitate to say that she is somehow cut off from her community because of ancient purity practices that we don't do anymore, I think we can still say with confidence that her illness would have cut her off from her community in other ways. Now I can say that with confidence because that's one thing about human community that hasn't changed all that much in 2000 years. Despite the great strides that we have made in medical science over the millennia, our current culture still has habits of ostracizing and bankrupting the chronically ill. We all know that the loss of community that came with COVID, and some remember the stigma and the fear that accompanied the AIDS crisis in the 80s. We are all aware of the ways that our fast-paced, right-now, go-go-go culture cuts off those of us who are not able to give 110% all the time. While it is safer and easier to live with many illnesses, culturally we still cut people off when we don't have solutions to their problems. To be incurable in modern America is no less alienating than it was in ancient Palestine. And it bankrupts people in the same way that it did then with people living their lives with tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical debt. While the standards of care and the way we understand disease has certainly changed, our culture still does not really know how to integrate the sick. So in that way, I believe we do have a window onto this woman's loss of community and her sense of desperation. Jairus and this woman provide incredibly contrasting characters, and yet both seek out Jesus for healing. Both are given what they beg for. If we are to take anything away from this story, I think it is this. God's hope is truly for everyone. It is for the wealthy, prestigious man's daughter who was so sick that she couldn't do anything to seek her own healing and it is for the ostracized, sick, and penniless woman who had to grope at him through a crowd. God's attention is for the traditionally religious, upright leader, and for the desperate woman who is trying one more crazy idea. Jesus has come for them all, and everything in between. Healing stories like these are powerful because they give us a window onto God's hope for us. They give us a story about the way that God's kingdom is becoming real in the world, who it reaches, and how it reaches them. Through stories like these, 
we are called to see the way that Jesus invokes healing and restoration to the little girl and the woman and the synagogue leader, how he restores them to wellness and to their connections in their community. Through stories like these, we are called to learn something from how and who Jesus heals. Then, we are called to manifest that same power of God's healing work in our own lives, in our own way. Each and every person who listens to this, each and every person who follows Jesus, is gifted with the skills to bring healing to another person. Some of us are skilled listeners who are able to make someone feel whole and well by merely holding space for their deepest wonderings. Some of us, like our own little children, bring joy and healing and hope when someone is in need of a laugh or an expression of uncontainable love. Some of us have trained for years to become nurses and doctors and therapists. Some work tireless hours to address the concerns of public health. God's restorative power is made real through all of our efforts to be healing presences in our communities. In the silence that follows and in the week to come, I invite you to wonder about these skills of healing that you bring to your communities. What has God gifted you so that you might be someone who brings healing in the name of God? Amen. As we close our time together, I invite you to pray with me. When I pray with the children, we use this simple tool to help us think about who in our life might need our prayers. And I'd like to share that with you today. I invite you to think of someone in your life that you are grateful for. Think about what makes you grateful for them, something that they've done lately, or something about them that just makes you glad. You can say their name out loud or remember it in your head now. I invite you to think about someone in your life that is hurt or sick, lost or desperate. Say their name or names out loud now so you can remember them before God. If there is something at home, at work, at school, or in the world that is worrying you, I invite you to give that to God now, too. 
It helps us to give our worries to God because God can help us hold all that worry. And I pray that God may hold and hear our prayers and that those we care for may feel the grace and hope of God's unimaginable love. Amen. Thank you for joining me this week. I look forward to the next time I will meet with you and I will leave you with a blessing to take care of you for the coming week. May God give to you and to those you love comfort and peace, light and joy in this world and the next. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God and mother of us all, be among you and remain with you always. Amen.